Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. class here locally, I had one of my favorite students ask me this question and it just broke my heart. They said, um, Mr. Pizza, why are you so obsessed with money? And I was like, I'm not obsessed with money. See, I'm obsessed with time. Time is money. See, <clears throat> I had a different accent back then, but, uh, <laughs> But I, I, that's, that's the answer I gave him. I said, I don't care about money. I actually have zero material financial goals. They're not, it's never been important to me. What is important to me is time, precious time. Why? Because great creative work requires lots and lots of time, lots of wasted time. I've often said on this podcast that in some ways, creativity is anti-productivity. They're almost exclusively at odds because productivity is about how do you not waste one second of what you're doing, whereas creativity, the best creativity comes from killing time. We've talked about this on the show before. John Cleese, uh, his work on creativity and what they discovered was that you are most likely to be creative when your only goal is to be having fun. The only goal of productivity is work. They're almost exclusively at odds. However, if you can figure out this dance, you can be the most creative. If you can figure out how to have fun uh, on purpose, then you can be creative for your job. Now, this episode is not about that. Uh, We're not going to talk about wasting time, the secret of creativity. Um, We are going to talk about how do you get the maximum amount of time that you can have. And that means getting the most money you can get, getting the most robust economic engine in your creative career. The more the money flows regularly, the more regular time you will have to practice and master your craft. If you want to have a robust creative engine, 
you need a robust economic engine. And in this episode, I want to share with you a few tips and tricks that I've been using lately that have helped me maximize my profits, not a term that I ever thought I would talk about in my life. Um, And then the last one I want to talk about is one that I think has tremendous potential. It is what the research and the experts believe is behind the most robust, powerful, sustainable economic engines in businesses. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to share with you just a few things that I've been thinking about and using in my career to maximize profits to, aka, maximize time for creativity. Because nothing drives me crazier than rushing a creative project, having to sacrifice quality because of a deadline, because of a lack of time. And so lately, my whole attitude has been about how do I maximize the space that I have for creative work? And it means if I have, the more money I have uh, flowing, the less I'm uh, constrained by uh, decisions based on finances. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to share two things with you that are just littler and then the big one after that. Let's go. Let's just do two quick tips that have helped me recently that if you're not implementing in your creative business, that you're probably not maximizing your earning potential a.k.a. your time for quality creative work. The first one comes from my buddy Joey Ellis. He told me this years ago, and I just recently remembered it and started utilizing it again because I got overwhelmed, too much demand, too many projects, uh, and I was splitting my time up between so many things, and then I remembered what Joey said. He said, you could book five projects at 20 bucks each, not you should never book five, you should never book a project for $20. Uh, this just for the simple math people out there, not for the super smart math people like us, but just for just for the people that don't do math very well. Keep it easy. You could do five projects at $20 each for a hundred bucks, or you could quote all five of those a hundred bucks, afford to lose four of the five, and then get paid a hundred bucks for one of those projects and spend all of the time on that. And so if you are in a place where you are overwhelmed by the amount of things that are on your plate, have you considered doubling, tripling, quadrupling, uh, what's five, pintupling your your pricing and affording to lose a bunch of other things. That's something that I've started to do now because I can't take on every single project that comes my way. Sorry, Grandma, I don't have time to create your uh, Christmas cards this year. It'll cost you pintupily what it cost you last year, which is uh, five portions of chicken and dumplings. Anyway, that's a tactic that has helped me recently. Second thing that's helped me recently, something I remembered is you got to open a gift shop and a gallery like you got, and, and everything in between. So you've heard me talk about this idea on the podcast that um, a lot of bands out there are just glorified T-shirt commercials, 
right? Like the only way that they can really make a profit is on their merch table. And that is a huge problem. If I was in the music industry, I would be desperately trying to break the economic engine in that world. I would be trying to put on karaoke shows at houses. I would try to be figuring out what are the different, what are all the, I would try to figure out Patreon. I'd try to figure out community. I'd try to figure out super fans. I would try to figure out any way of turning a profit and getting bigger offerings than just the gift shop merch table. But then there are people who are all big. They're, they, you know, all they have are these giant paintings that cost $10,000, but they don't have anything in the gift shop. And this speaks to this idea that Seth Godin said on my podcast, which is the person that buys the Salvador Dali painting buys it for a different reason than the person that buys the the poster, the Dolly poster, and hangs it up over their piano. They are completely different customers, and some customers want a piece of art that costs $10,000. Part of why they're buying it is because it's expensive. It's something about their identity, right? And so if you are not firing on both cylinders, you're leaving a lot of money on the table and you should be able to repurpose content for multiple tiers. One of the things you notice I'll do, I create podcast artwork that then becomes posters that then becomes calendars and I'm using it on several different layers. And sometimes I'll isolate ideas from that and make them into stickers or make them into, uh, pens. Like you got to be taking all of that creativity and making sure that you're giving multiple offerings. You can't be just setting up the merch table. You've got to be uh, higher price points, medium price points. Like one of the things you could do, there can be original artwork and then there could be custom artwork. You know, there's a huge booming industry around, uh, ho home interiors, uh, weddings, babies. Like these are huge markets in the world and you could if you're an illustrator, you could partner with a wedding photographer and often offer semi-custom portraits. I did that for a while in my early days. It was a good medium income booster. People are already using bigger budgets than they're used to. Regular consumers, they, they save a certain amount of money for weddings. Where are those honeypots, Pooh Bear? Where you, are you looking? Are you sniffing out that, uh, that honey? Okay. <laughs> really weird about the honey for a second, but that that's what you need. Make sure you got the gift shop to the gallery. Those are two quick tips. Now I want to move on to my bigger idea for this episode. There's a, uh, there's an idea that I came across recently that has just mm -hmm, tasted so delicious. Uh, that I'm just, I've just been savoring it. I've put it in, you know, the side I've been, you remember how you used to suck on a fruit roll up? You used to you ever put a fruit roll up on your teeth? Like it was like a mouth guard. My God, if dentists only knew this was the nineties people, I was savoring this. I I've been savoring this idea, waiting to share it with you like a fruit roll up mouth guard <laughs> uh, from the 90s. I've been savoring it since the 90s, this fruit roll-up. It's <laughs> disgusting. Um, but no, I've been, ex I've been excited about this idea. Uh, I think it's got tremendous potential to explain it to you. I'm going to use a little story. Um, it's called 
the waterfall that wishes wishes he was the sun. I promise I'll make it quick. <laughs> uh, okay, so a waterfall. This giant, huge, powerful waterfall looks at the sun and and sees the radiant power, sees its its ability to make life on earth grow, and it wishes that it had the power of the sun, and so it somehow grows arms and blocks up and cements its falls uh, under a thick layer of concrete and just lines that whole hillside, that whole cliff with solar panels. But you know what happens, don't you? Age old story. The waterfall busts through the concrete because it can't hold back its true nature. And then the waterfall sees its sister, the river, and it sees how useful the river is for people to trade and barter goods and send things up and down the river and people just love the river and it's like I want to I want people to kayak on me and so it creates this huge waterfall fest 2020 come families from all places come ride my waves uh And has anyone ever told you what happens when you ride the waves of a waterfall like a river? No, they can't. Because they're dead. The waterfall (laughs) trying to be a river killed a bunch of people. It was like a, it was a total massacre. One minute, Uncle Bob's taking a selfie. Kayak, fam hangs 2020. The next minute he's pulling off, he's pulling a sassy from Homeward Bound. You remember the cat that went over the waterfall? Ah, meow. And it, but guess what? There's no weird woodsman hunt, uh, hermit to nurse Uncle Bob back to health. So we just died at the bottom of the waterfall. Although I would like to see that scene uh, reenacted from Homeward Bound where the, the old man finds Sassy the cat washed up and nurses her back to health. But instead of Sassy the cat, it's just an old guy named Uncle Bob pretending to be a cat. That doesn't have very much to do with what we're talking about, but here's my point. Uh, (laughs) The waterfall tried to be the sun and power uh, things like the sun. It tried to be useful like the river. You know the facts. Waterfalls have plenty of potential on their own. You ever heard of a water wheel? It's a very fun word to say, but it's also a powerful energy generator. We still use them. We used them back in the day. We still use them. If you are a waterfall, don't try to be the sun. That's the lesson. The point I'm making is I feel like we come into this world and we look around at all the options, all the ways of being useful, powerful, valuable, uh, having earning potential, and we try to mimic what other people do. We try to figure out how do I make money? How do I be a normal person? How do I repress my own self and be more like other people? But the truth is your economic engine, the most powerful asset you have for building a creative career is not by repressing your nature, but by nurturing it and exploiting it and using it to the most powerful uh, potential. 
what you've got to find is what is your automatic behaviors that you're going to do no matter what? How are you like the waterfall in which is going to hurl water over and over and over its cliff day after day after day? What are the things that are automatic for you that you can't help but do that nothing could stop you from doing? Jerry Seinfeld said he's a joke chuck. He chucks jokes. That's just what he does. He chucks jokes all day long. How many of you are woodchucks out there who are in woodchucking anonymous, trying to stop and repress your most basic patterns instead of understanding them and utilizing them to the max potential? What are your automatic behaviors? What are your default modes? Yes, we all have habits and hangups and addictions and things that are clearly uh, hurting us, but there's a bunch of your behavior, a bunch of your wiring that you have it, that's different about you that you've been caused to feel bad about because it's different because it stands out and you've tried to instead fit in instead of realizing that it's your most valuable asset. Now, let me explain what it is. Let me explain how this works. It's called the flywheel. It's a concept by Jim Collins. He wrote the book From Good to Great. It's a business classic. They did enormous amount of research into what are the businesses that are robust and sustainable economic engines over the long haul. What makes a great company? And the number one thing is a robust flywheel. Here's what a flywheel is. So the flywheel is not, in fact, a hamster wheel for flies. What, what it is is it's a concept from the book Good to Great. Jim Collins actually just released a new monograph, a short book, like 50 pages, on turning the flywheel, and it's just a focus in on this concept of flywheels. And the reason why he's created that new monograph is because that is the thing that businesses, sustainable uh, robust businesses have in common is that they have a, 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 a fantastic flywheel and they know exactly what their flywheel, flywheel is. They don't just have one, they know what it is. Uh, in the book, there's this quote from one of Jim Collins' professors. His name is Robert Bergelman, and he is a teacher at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And he said that the greatest danger in business and life lies not in outright failure, but in achieving success without understanding why you were successful in the first place. And there are so many creative people that get lucky. They get a one hit wonder, but they don't know how they did it. And so they're stumbling and fumbling in bumbling and mumbling in the dark, not knowing how it is that they do their magic. And it's almost worse than if they'd never had any magic in the first place. How many people's lives are worse off because they had a one hit wonder. And if you understand your flywheel, you can be a perennial success. What does that mean? Okay, let's get into the flywheel idea. This is the thing that these great businesses have in common. And it's essentially just imagine a huge wheel that once you get it turning, it starts automatically turning itself faster and faster and faster. Let me give you an example. So if you just put 
in a circle, put six circles around the circumference of this circle. And in the middle, you'd write your company. So we'll talk about Giro. I think that's how you say it. I'm not a biking person. A cyclist, I think they're called technically the technical term for biking person. Uh, Giro flywheel. It's these helmets. And at the top, the start of their flywheel is invent great products. They invented this uh, aerodynamic, super well-designed helmet. Now, that's not enough. That's the first thing they got to do is invent great products. But the, they realize the next thing they have to do to get that thing turning is get elite athletes to use them. If one of the winners of the Tour de France was wearing their helmets, all of a sudden that would inspire weekend warriors. That's the third wheel. That's the third circle in the wheel. If those elite athletes are wearing them, then the weekend warriors, the people that are crazy about cycling and want to be like the huge elite athletes, all of a sudden are wearing them. If they're wearing them, it'll attract mainstream customers. That's at the bottom. If they attract mainstream customers, it'll build brand power because now people know about it. Now people want it, know about it. They can set high prices and channel those profits, those big profit margins into research and development of more great inventive products back at the top of the wheel and that engine continues to push forward. Now, as a creative person, you might be saying, what does that have to do with me? How do I find my flywheel? What do I even have one? Is it, is it even possible? And I think that with this process, I notice something about me that I don't just I don't, that my most powerful flywheels aren't the ones that require tons of effort to get started in the first place. That the most powerful flywheels for most humans are things that are already automatic behaviors that if you push them in the right way, become an automatic flywheel that perpetuates itself. And I think the places we find these are what my friend Meg Lewis talks about. She says that if you want to know what's different about you, think of what you're ashamed of. Think about what has been uh, put down about you because every way that you're different, people are going to have pointed it out. They're going to compliment you for it, but they're also going to dish you for it and put you down for it. And you're probably not going to remember the compliments, but you are going to remember the disses. So what are the things that people have poked at you, made fun of you for, one of mine, I'll tell you two of mine that are both flywheels for me. One is attention. I've always been an attention hog. I'm actually good at getting attention. My, I've told you this before, my illustration work, one of the biggest put downs that I've heard on it is that it's not subtle. It lacks subtlety. But you know, the, what's the opposite of lacking subtlety? Getting attention, being loud. Advertisers love loud stuff. That's why I had a career in illustration in the advertising world. It's because if you look on iTunes, my freaking podcast art is the loudest podcast art on iTunes. And it's why Apple came to me and asked me if they could use it in their campaigns. Because it's great at getting attention. It's the opposite of subtle. But for the longest time, I was a uh, attention chuck who wishes that he was a subtle chuck. I was at attention chuck uh, anonymous trying to downplay my attention getting capabilities. And the same goes for my ADHD. A lot of people don't know this, but one of the hallmarks of ADHD is boredom is physical pain. I cannot take 
long periods of boredom. It gives me intense anxiety if I think I'm about to go to, let's say, uh, a wedding where there's no drinking, <laughs> there's no, there's not going to be food. It's just going to be a. I just know it's going to be like a old religious long wedding. Uh, excuse me if that's offensive to you. I'm sorry, but it's boring, and I will start getting antsy and anxious. And for the whole time, I'm a, I'm a boredom chuck, repressing the fact I'm, I'm an er- entertainment chuck. Right, I have to be entertained. I have to follow my curiosities. I have to lean into that stuff. And so for me, the flywheel, the top of my flywheel is that I get bored easily. Now, if I don't know that that's a flywheel, it's just gonna be a waterfall trying to be the sunshine, right? But what I've learned is that if I lean into that boredom, if I let it happen, what I will automatically do is I will get curious about a new market. When I was in the advertising illustration world and that was working great and I was sick of getting attention for my illustrations and I wanted them to do something else, I wanted them to tell stories, I got interested in kids' books. And so at the top of my flywheel was get bored. The next part of my flywheel was get curious about something new. And when I was curious about kids' books, I figured out how to break into that market. And so I broke into that market. At the bottom of the market is become an expert established in that market. And then once I'm established in that market, I can teach other people how to break into that market. And when I teach other people to break into that market, I eventually get bored again. And then I want to break into podcasts and then I want to break into editorial illustration and then I want to break into conference speaking and then I want to, do you see the flywheel? And once I do that thing, I teach other people to do it. I get bored of it and I move on to the next curiosity. You see how that boredom, you see how that rushing waterfall of boredom can be used with the right wheel, not a water wheel, but a flywheel right? Maybe the Andy J pizza version of flywheel is water wheel. What are you a waterfall of? What are the things you're ashamed of that you've been trying to repress, that you've been trying to get in line, the automatic behaviors that if you just take that rushing water and put a flywheel under it, it will generate automatic success. I have a friend named Kyle Sheely. He's been on the show a few times. There are certain ideas that he has that just consume him. He's obsessed with a novel idea, pushing it to the extreme. When he thinks of a novel idea that can be taken to the extreme, he can't help himself from do it. He, from doing it. He had an idea of a free run. It was a a marathon that was free of running. They're going to have all the things of a marathon. They're going to have the kit and the jerseys and the numbers and uh, the sweatbands and the bumper stickers, everything that you get from a marathon, but you don't have to run. You just sign up and you get it. And they did a Kickstarter, super successful. And when he has these ideas, he's had a bunch of them. He had an idea for, uh, you know, he heard of the 50 Shades of Grey book and he was like, that's a bunch of garbage. Everyone knows there's clearly 99 Shades of Grey and he made his own version of the book called 99 Shades of Grey. Of course, it wasn't a um, sassy... Uh, I know a lot of kids listen to this show with their moms. Like, I don't know if they're actively listening, but I'm just trying to be careful on the monologues. I try to be more careful. Um, 
<laughs> it wasn't like Fifty Shades of Grey. It was literally just a 99-page book, each page a different shade of gray. And they did a Kickstarter. It was really successful. Did all these crazy things. And he's actually said that he will go to his wife uh, with one of these ideas, this waterfall rushing of passion for this novel idea that can be taken to the extreme. And he tells his wife, I, what do you think? Should I do this? Is it okay with you if I do this? And she's like, why are you asking me this? This kind of behavior from you is automatic. Quit fighting it and put a flywheel under that waterfall. And what he's learned is, is if he leans into these ridiculous things and he starts working these long hours working on these ridiculous ideas, he's spend, wasting all of this time on this novel idea, taking it to the extreme. His brain is a storytelling brain. He can't help but add meaning to this meaningless thing. He can't help, but he's a meaning maker. He's a storyteller. And so all of a sudden he's working in this silly thing. He's adding meaning to it. All of a sudden those things work its way into his public speaking career. And that, and it, it just keeps turning, baby. Just keeps turning. What are your flywheels? What are your automatic behaviors? I would come up with a few of them. What are the patterns that you recognize in your creative work? Next thing we're gonna do is define our flywheel and then grade it. Okay, so here's what you gotta do. Uh, start examining, try attempt. It's going to be a little bit intimidating. It was hard for me to start this activity of create a little circle, draw a circle, and then at the top, put one circle and then around all the way around until there's six circles around the whole thing, write your business in the middle of it. And at the top, I want you to identify an automatic behavior that you do no matter what, because you're a woodchuck and you can't help but chuck. I'm an entertainment chuck, an attention chuck. I can't help it. I just do those things. What is one of those automatic things that's part of the engine of your creative work? Put it at the top and then work on what's the next thing? What's the best thing that comes from that automatic behavior? And just work your way around until you get back to the top. Now, here's what I want you to do. This is from the Flywheel book. I want you to grade one out of 10 how well you do those things. Back to this quote from Jim Collins' uh, teacher about that failure in business isn't so much about outright failure as it is being successful but not knowing why. And so this process is going to help you dig into your flywheel but also maximize its potential and figure out which of these gears isn't functioning on all cylinders? This is all weird mechanical mechanic talk. You know me, Mr. Mechanic. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did this for my boredom one and I realized, okay, boredom's at the top. Getting curious about a new thing. Both of those really good at those. Um, identifying a new market and breaking in. Really good. I've become really good at that. Um, I, there were times where that was a weaker part that I had to learn some tactics and strategies and practical tactical methods. Then I went down to um, uh, establishing myself as an expert in that field. And that's the first part of my flywheel where I gave myself a lower score. And this is part of what I've been 
thinking about lately? How do I improve the I want to be not just a kid's book author, illustrator, but I want to make incredible kid's books. And the way that I do that is I've got to have more time and maybe not even more time, but spend more time focusing on quality. And part of that was letting go of FOMO. Quit worrying about all the other markets that I, I'm not in right now and own the season I'm in. I also identified through giving myself a low score on that is uh, that part of the reason why I don't spend the time becoming an actual expert, really digging in my heels and, and planting my flag in that world is because I don't believe in myself is that I don't believe that I have what it takes to be great. So I just want to skip the step of going through that maze of actually building my craft and being excellent and being original in that place. And I had, I gave myself like a, a five out of 10 for that. And I realized that if I will allow myself to own the season I'm in, be present in the season I'm in, give it the best that I've got, that that flywheel will improve on that step and it'll, um, and it'll allow that flywheel to turn faster and for over the long game. And so write out your flywheel, figure out, uh, you might never, you might not even, you might have the top automatic behavior and see how you could use it in such a way that it starts a flywheel. You might not even have one yet. You know, for me, if that was boredom, um, and curiosity, those are kind of natural, but the next part of that circle was break into new markets. If I don't break into new markets, then I can't become an expert in my field. If I can't become an expert in my field, I can't teach other people how to do it. And so there's a, a, a broken part of that chain and I would had to figure out how do I systematically break into new markets? So much of this podcast has been about that. My side quest series is about that. The creative career path is about that. And I had to spend, you know, five, six years ago, I had to, I got a low grade on that and I had to fix that part of the flywheel. And so maybe you have an automatic behavior that leads to this thing. And you know, if it would lead to this other thing, if you'd have a breakthrough on this part of the flywheel, everything would start turning. And so this system helps you identify what part of this automatic behavior isn't, uh, creating growth and sustained action for you. And how can you systematically improve it? C.S. Lewis said that evil has no creative potential. It has no creative agency. That evil at best, all it can do is pervert the goodness that was created. That everything in creation is inherently good until evil perverts it. And what would it look like if instead of being a woodchuck who's trying to cut down on the wood, if you figured out a healthy channeling of that automatic behavior, the woodchuck that tries to turn down the wood ends up gnawing at kitchen tables and coffee tables and, and hardwood floors right? That behavior finds a way out. That waterfall breaks through the solar panels. When Joseph Gordon-Levitt was on the show, he talked about how in college he tried not to be creative, tried not to be an actor. 
but his acting was a waterfall and he ended up dominating and commandeering social situations with weird characters and ridiculous personas. And when he got back into acting, all of a sudden he didn't need to channel that behavior and overtake personal situations. And I found the exact same thing when I've channeled that attention hungry uh, maniac within me into my creative illustration and my creative work. I don't feel the need to be at the center of every conversation in my social life. When I figured out how to use that engine of being easily bored into my creative work, all of a sudden I have a higher threshold for boredom and monotony in my every day. What would it look like instead of trying to be a river, you accepted that you were a waterfall? When you don't, when you try to repress this creative energy, what happens? It's not Bob doesn't, Uncle Bob doesn't die going over that waterfall. It destroys the people in your life. I've seen it time and time again. The people with these automatic behaviors that start with good, that are perverted into evil, that the fester as the longer they try to repress them. And maybe instead of asking yourself, why do I always have to be in the spotlight? Why do I always do that? Why do I always fall victim to this? Why do I keep doing that? Maybe ask yourself, what is it about me that does that? And what good could come from it? Instead of trying to be a river, throw a flywheel, throw a water wheel under that pulsing automatic behavior and figure out what could be possible. Yes, this episode is about exploiting your automatic behaviors for maximum profits. Yeah, on the surface it's that, but underneath there's a deeper philosophical paradigm shift that I'm asking you to make. What if instead of seeing yourself as inherently bad and something to be ashamed of, you started viewing it through the lens of that you are inherently good and valuable and that rushing waterfall of energy could do so many great things. It can do even more than the destruction that it's done if you will make that shift today. Yeah, you might have killed Uncle Bob and Sassy the cat, but if you throw a water wheel under that mad energy, you could probably power a town. All right, I think the analogy's broken. I, I think it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> okay. Thanks to Yoni Wolf in the band Y for our theme music. Huge thanks to Alex Sugg for the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack, which you can hear on Spotify and Apple Music. All the music that you've heard on this other than the theme song. Thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for audio assistance. If you're in the audio space and you're trying to make a living, a producer, an audio engineer, what have you, go check out the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Chris and his buddy Brian are crushing it in that space. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>